thank you for that. <clears throat> so, uh, the, uh, normally this would be when we dismiss for children's church, but uh, our children's church leaders are also stuck in the snow. So, uh, if you need something for your younger ones, there's the children's bulletins and crayons in the entryway. The rest of you, though, you can grab your Bibles, open up to 2 Corinthians. Those of you who know me uh, know that uh, as a kid, uh, I loved going to Camp uh, Halawasa. Never missed a year. In fact, every summer, there was never, never a time when that was not part of our summer plans to go to camp. We did that every year. My parents would even plan our vacation around that so we didn't miss those dates, and, and I was always there. And because of that frequent attendance, uh, it wasn't long before I could recite all the rules for camp by heart. I mean, I, I knew them. Uh, the first day of camp, you know, uh, uh, the, the directors would gather everybody together, and the very first thing they would do is go over all the, the rules for camp, which were, you know, just pretty much the standard rules that you would expect at at a Christian camp. However, uh, by the time my friends and I had reached uh, senior high camp, we had established our own set of rules, uh, completely separate and independent from the official rules uh, of camp. And one of our top rules had to do with mealtime. And it was pretty simple. The rule said, Never leave your food unattended. (laughs) Bad things happen if you left your food all alone. You know, you got that situation, you know, you've gone through the line, you've selected everything you wanted, you got your plate just the way you want it, you sit down at the table, and then you realize you forgot your Kool-Aid, right? And and in a normal situation, like, like say at one of our potlucks here, you would just Leave your food there, go over to the drink dispenser, grab your Kool-Aid, you'd have a nice refreshing drink to eat with your meal when you got back. Not at camp, okay? Uh, If you left your plate unattended, the best parts of your meal would all be scavenged by the time you returned. If you were lucky, you might have, you know, a slice of jello and a few green beans uh, to eat. Uh, But of course, you'd have, you know, a nice Kool-Aid to wash it down with. Sometimes they didn't scavenge your food, but uh, you had to be pretty careful. They may have um, sabotaged your plate in some way. Perhaps they mixed your jello in with your mashed potatoes or, or, or some other such thing like this. I don't know what I was thinking. One uh, breakfast, I, I just disregarded this rule. I just forgot it. I went to get, I don't even remember what, but when I returned, I I found that my Captain Crunch had been nicely salted and peppered for me. Uh, You know, uh, you had two choices, two choices if you had uh, your food at the table and you forgot something you needed to go get it. One was you could gather up everything that you had and take it with you to protect it and, and then come back uh, to, your, to hopefully your spot uh, uh, then. Or two, you could enlist the aid of someone that you completely trusted, someone who had been tested and found faithful that you could leave your plate with knowing that it would be safe when you return. This person would have to be able to withstand intense peer pressure, deep temptation, and all forms of bribery. In other words, they would have to be men 
like the Apostle Paul mentions here in 2 Corinthians as he is talking about uh, our financial uh, stewardship in giving. So turn, if you haven't already, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 24, but to get us started, I'm just going to read verses 23 and 24, and it says this, As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you, as for our brethren, they are messengers of the church, churches, a glory to Christ. Therefore, openly before the churches, show them the proof of your love and of our reason for boasting about you. Father God, again, we thank you for uh, just this opportunity to be together. We pray as we look into your word that you would teach us this morning according to your will. Meet each of us, God, at our, our point of need in this. We pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, so last Sunday we began looking at this passage that deals with the Christian and giving. And, and I mentioned then that, you know, there are other portions of Scripture that deal with uh, various truths concerning money, which we're not going to get into at this time because that's not what this passage talks about. But we did need to make sure we were all at the same starting point, all on the same page with the understanding that according to the Bible, all that we have, all of our possessions, our bank account, our IRA, everything that we have comes from God and belongs to God. He actually is the owner. He possesses it. We are simply called stewards. And again, a reminder, a steward is that person who is given the responsibility for managing uh, those funds and those uh, things on behalf of the owner. And, and that's what we are in relation to God with all of our finances. As a steward, of course, then, we are to handle His money in ways that are both directed by Him, the ways He says, and what are pleasing to Him, the Master. And, and we are to be good stewards in the area of how we earn money, uh, saving money, investing it, and spending it. And all of those things are talked about in other passages uh, of Scripture. But we also need to be a good steward in giving money because giving is something that God has called us to do with whatever amount of money it is that He has entrusted to us. Last uh, week, as we began looking at this passage, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, that's the focus, the stewardship of giving in this, we saw the foundational principle of, of good stewardship, and that foundational principle is that God calls us to be generous. Sacrificial giving is what was held up and highlighted as, as the standard that He desires for us, both by the example of those poor Macedonian believers and by Jesus Christ Himself. And we noted again uh, last week that it's not the amount that God was interested in, but the heart. I didn't mention it last week, but, but probably we're all familiar with us, that story where Jesus was sitting and watching the temple and people were coming and giving their offerings. And, and the poor widow came and gave just a couple of pennies. It's all she had. And God praised her because for her, that was a huge sacrificial gift. And, and so it, it, it's not the amount. It, it, what God desires is that heart that wants to worship Him through giving. And this morning we're going to now continue that study by looking at, at four principles of 
of biblical good stewardship in this area uh, of giving. And the first one is found in verses 10 and 11. It says this, I, I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. But now finish doing it also, so that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may also be the completion of it by your ability. So the, the, the principle uh, from there is that good stewardship requires that we move beyond good intentions to actual follow-through actions. Now, before we, we delve into that, I, I want to make just a quick... Uh, comment about that phrase, I give my opinion, because I've actually heard some uh, preachers say or teachers say that, okay, this is just Paul's opinion. And you guys know what an opinion is. Opinion is where somebody gives you their own personal thoughts on something, and you can either take or leave their opinion. It's, it's up to you. And since Paul is saying he gives his opinion, we, you know, we have that same opportunity here. We can take or leave this. I, I just want to let you know, no, it doesn't work that way. Uh, when, when Paul says he's giving his opinion, he is, what he's saying is, I'm not taking this directly from any Old Testament teaching or from a direct revelation from God. Uh, this is what I have seen and heard from biblical principles and observations of life. But we need to understand that the Apostle Paul was inspired by God as he gave this, and so it became part of uh, authoritative Scripture. And therefore, it is not something which we can choose to either take or leave. It is part of God's plan for us, and therefore, it is a directive, a command that we must follow. But of course, in following it, like all of God's laws or commands, He says it is to your advantage. This is to your advantage that you do this. And some, they might be tempted to ask, well, in what way is this you know, giving an advantage to us. I mean, because, you know, when we think, when we give money away, that just means I have less money to spend on myself or to take care of my own needs. So how is that advantageous to me? And, and of course, generally, we, we, we can give that general uh, idea that anytime you're obeying God and following His commands, it's to your advantage because it builds spiritual muscles when you're obeying God, and it is a means uh, of worshiping Him worshiping him because you're you're following what he requires but in this particular case jesus explicitly gives the reason how a giving is an advantage to us uh, he did that in the sermon on the mount when he said so when you give to the poor do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets so that they might be honored by men truly i say to you that they have their reward in full. You know, there are people that have figured out that, hey, there is a reward, there is a benefit in, in, in giving uh, because, you know, then people will claim you. And again, I don't, I, I don't claim to know uh, what his own personal motivations are, but you could take an example, a guy like, like Bill Gates, right? That guy gives away millions of dollars. You've probably heard or, or read about it. You know, a million or two over here, 10 million over there. He, he gives away all of this money. And, and, and this money that he gives, it, it's a big uh, boon to whatever organization uh, he gives it to. But every time he gives, you know, the, the, uh, the, the newspaper and TV journalists are informed, um, uh, press conferences called, and, and all, it's just spread far and wide that everybody knows he's giving this money uh, so that, that uh, he is uh, acclaimed as this wonderfully generous guy. 
And, and, and the reality is, I mean, that, sure, it's nice that he gives that money, but the reality is it's really not affecting him. It's not costing him much at all to give that. It, you know, to us it sounds like, well, I mean, he's giving millions of dollars. How can you mean that doesn't, isn't a big thing? Look, I, I looked up his net worth from 2017, okay? If Bill Gates did not make another penny the rest of his life, his businesses stopped right now. His investments didn't earn another dime of interest. If he just had only the money he's worth right now to spend, he could give away a million dollars a day, 365 days a year, and it would take him over 235 years to run out of money. So, you know, when it says he has given this, you know, two million here or a million there, it is not affecting his personal finances one iota. It's just not any impact on his life. I, I was trying to figure out, you know, compare it down to, to, to uh, you know, what would be common for our wages here. Basically, it would be like us giving a quarter, uh, you, you know, to somebody. Oh, you need that? Here's a quarter. Um. He, uh, he got his reward, the advantage of being acclaimed by men. But according to Jesus, of course, that's all he's going to get. But Jesus went on in that passage to tell us, but when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So do you see what our advantage is here? Is that giving results in being rewarded by God the Father. Now exactly what that reward is and, and how that works out, that, that's never explained. But however it works, Paul says, it's to your advantage. You're going to come out on the good end of this. It's going to be for your benefit when you do that. And therefore, he is able to say this, this first principle then of, of stewardship, good stewardship of giving is don't stop at good intentions. Follow through. Actually choose to give. That's what he means when he says, well, you know, if, if, if the readiness uh, is there, if the desire is there, then bring it to completion. Finish it. Do it. I don't know about you, but I've had all kinds of good intentions in my life that never went anywhere because I let one thing or another derail them. Procrastination probably being the number one detriment to a lot of my good intentions. I mean, I, I, I think of like DJ's birthday, which, by the way, is coming up soon, so help me remember this. The... I have had many grand ideas of fun or special things to do for her birthday. But, you know, then the busyness of life gets in the way and I think, well, I'll, I'll, I'll work on that tomorrow or, or maybe this weekend I'll think about that and the next thing you know, her birthday's here and uh, nothing got done. Or uh, let's make it specific to this issue of giving. Uh, Bonnie uh, Kieswetter 
prior to Christmas, put out a Compassion International magazine on the table. You know, from that magazine, that's the one where you can order like goats or, or, or sheep or garden seeds that would be given in these areas where Compassion is working to these families that are part of this. And it can be a real blessing to that family, not only providing food for them, but oftentimes a means of income for them and just a positive way of the gospel being spread as well. And when that magazine was put out there, I immediately had these good intentions to get some chickens because, you know, I have fun with my chickens up there and I thought, well, I could, that'd be fun to get some chickens for some other families. That would be good. That's one of the things you can do, give a, a small flock of chickens there. And I kept meaning to, to talk to DJ about it. But, you know, Christmas is a really busy time. Things were going back and forth and the next thing you know, Christmas came and went and I didn't do anything. I had the desire, I had the readiness, I had the ability, God had given me the means, but I didn't have any follow-through. It was a complete fail on my part. And the reality is, if we're going to be good stewards in the management of God's money in this area of giving, Good intentions must become actions. That's, that's the first principle of good stewardship here. But that leads us right into the second principle of good stewards, which is this. You give according to what you have. Look at, look at verse 12. It says, For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. You know, there are so many families around the world that could use some chickens to get some eggs and some income from those. I can't provide that for everybody. But God doesn't expect me to provide that for everybody. It's according to what I have. I might be able to do that for a couple of families. God expects us to give based on where we're at, on what we have. This also is a principle that tells us that stewardship of our finances uh, is, is not based on any particular percentage or amount. There are some, and, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, chances are there's some in, in, in here that have heard this, who have been taught that if you're a good Christian and you're doing what God wants you to do, well, then you've got to give 10% of your income to God because that's what the Bible says. But the reality is, you, you can search the entire New Testament and all the teachings about the church and giving, and you're never going to find that. So that, that comes from either a misunderstanding or a misconception or misapplication uh, of the system of giving in the Old Testament. And without going into a really long and in-depth study about it, let me, let me just give you kind of a brief story on that. 
So the, the, the nation of Israel was set up to be a theocracy, right? Which means God's in charge. He's the president or the king, and, and then the people were supposed to live according to his rule. Well, long story short, the people decided they wanted a, an earthly king, and so God allowed that. But even then, this earthly king was supposed to run his administration completely according to God's laws and his rules. He was still supposed to be doing it God's way. And, and, and in that system... The church and the government were intertwined. They were, they were one basic entity together. So to finance this operation, God set up a system called the tithe. A tithe is a word that literally means tenth. tenth. And, and, and it was not an offering. It was a mandatory, compulsory giving. And this tithe was to support all the Levites. The Levites were the priests and, and all the temple workers, but those guys were also um, functioned as the government employees since they, they worked to administer God's laws. So when you were paying your tithe, you were paying the employee wages of the church and the government workers. But if you keep studying the Old Testament, you find out that a, a second tithe, a, another 10%, was also required. And this tithe was to pay for all the mandatory yearly festivals, religious festivals that Israel had that, that the, the families were required to attend. And then, if you keep studying the Old Testament, you'll find out that a third tithe was required. Only this tithe you only paid every third year. So it's like three and a third percent every year, but you just paid it every third year. And this particular uh, tithe, this tenth, per, uh, tenth uh, was the welfare program. It was from this money that the, that the poor and the widows and the orphans were, were taken care of. So uh, long story short, if you say that we have to give according to what the Old Testament system says, you're supposed to be giving 23 and a third percent, not, not, not 10 percent. And, and uh, on top of that, 23 and a third percent, that's when you could give your offerings, your voluntary gifts to the temple and, and these other things. I want you to understand, nowhere in the Bible do those regulations set up for the nation of Israel ever carry over or get transferred to the church. See, the, the truth is, being forced to give a certain percentage, whether it was 10% or 23 and a third percent, right, would be an incredible hardship for some people. While on the other hand, it wouldn't even make a dent in the finances of other people. That's why... God has a different system set up for the church and for Christians. He says that you give of your own accord. We saw that last week in verse 3, if you remember that. You give from the heart and you give based according to what you have, not what you don't have. And for some, that might be very little. For others, 
it, it could be a huge amount, I, way more than 10%. I, I, I told the story, I don't know, years ago, I, f- I forget exactly even why, uh, of the guy who started the Quaker Oats Company, good Christian guy. He gave 90% of his wages and lived on 10% because that's what God had allowed and managed him to do, allowed him to do. See, the point is the amount you give is not some predetermined set compulsory amount that God says you must give this to be a good Christian. It's what you determine to give between you and God as an act of worship. And if that's not clear from, from these statements, it becomes abundantly clear when we move into chapter 9 and, and look at verse 7 where it says this, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And we're going to look at that verse more in depth next week, but, but the point we want to draw out of that today is simply this. There is no compulsion, no compulsory giving, no specified percent or amount that you give in the church. You give based on whatever you have determined or purposed in your heart as an act of worship between you and God. That's how giving is supposed to be determined. So now we... We've looked at two principles so far, uh, going from good intentions to actually giving. God does want us to give, but the amount of giving is based, the second principle, on what you, God has supplied you with, and you can between you and God. The third principle comes from verses 16 through 23, and this section has more to do with how Paul actually handled the receiving and delivery of the money. And therefore, uh, it might seem to be more directed at like, you know, the church finance team and, and the officers and stuff like that because it's all about them. So they need to pay attention here, but the rest of us can kind of take a quick nap. But you can't do that at all because there is a, a principle for giving uh, in, in here for us as well. Um, the key verses in this section are verses 20 and 21 taking precautions so that no one will discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. For we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. So basically, Paul is saying here, hey guys, I just want you to know that we have followed every best practice protocol that has been set up for handling money. We're doing things the right way so that nobody can make an accusation of impropriety uh, against us in this. Uh, and so Titus was put in charge uh, of, of the collection, of, of uh, bringing this money in. And, and according to then verse 18, it says, we have sent along with him the brother whose fame in the things of the gospel has spread through all the churches. So, so again, they, they, this good practice, not just one guy, we got two guys, so there's accountability there, and, and they sent this guy that everybody knew about. Man, his fame has spread. They all knew. We have no clue who it is. doesn't tell us, so any speculation is, is, is fruitless. But, but apparently everybody knew this guy and, and knew that he could be trusted, and, and it wasn't just Paul's hand-picked friend so that somebody could say well yeah sure it's just your guy and then the three of you are going to get together afterwards and do something nefarious with the money or whatever Uh, look at what it says in verse 19 and not only this but he 
has also been appointed by the churches to travel with us to this gracious work. So, so it, he was, this was a man who was approved by the body as a whole, uh, kind of like uh, our team leaders being, being approved by the, by the whole congregation. Everybody knew that this was a guy that you could count on. And, and, and then, and then uh, we read in verse 22, we have sent with them, so you got Titus and this, and this guy who's everybody knew about, we've sent with them our brother whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things, but now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. So now here's a third guy just to add even more accountability along with this. And this was a guy who had been tested. He had been proven over, he had a track record. He was, he was found to be faithful in all of these things. He was reliable. You could leave your Captain Crunch with him and you would know it would be fine when you got back. This was who this guy was. All of this they did because they were taking every precaution to do things right, it says, both in the sight of God and in the sight of man. So these verses, you know, they give us a standard uh, as a church that we would want to follow in terms of, uh, of taking care of money and, and that type of thing. But it also gives us, I believe, a principle of stewardship that we need to keep in mind when we're giving money. And that's this. Give your money to organizations that are properly handling God's money. If, if a place doesn't give some type of full and open accounting of their finances, don't, don't send your money there. I can't tell you how many accounts or, or things I have read about supposedly Christian organizations that have these beautiful fundraising campaigns and, oh, they tug at your heart because they sound like they're doing these wonderful things, but you find out that their money is either, you know, just a few pennies of it are actually going to this project and the rest is going to pay for the administration. Or, I, I came across some, not just, just one, but some, they were spending uh, 50 to 70% of their money on fundraising. You, you, you get what that means, right? For every dollar that you gave them, they're spending 50 to 70% to raise more money. How, how deplorable is that? we want to be faithful in our giving, which means we can give to people that are faithful and proper in using it. And you say, well, man, I don't know. How can I research that? How can I, how can I find that out? Well, there, there are ways, but, but if you don't have time to research, here's what I would encourage you to do. Uh, look for organizations that have the seal of the ECFA seal. You see it up there. Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. This is a Christian watchdog group that monitors uh, all these organizations. And then that would tell you, if they've got that seal, uh, that would tell you they are handling the money properly. They're, they're not abusing the money you get and, and spending it all on themselves or, or fruitless things. And, and they're, um, they're being faithful in the way it's, it's being used. So uh, you, you, to be a good steward, the, the principle, to be a good steward, you should feel confident that your donation is being administered in both a financially trustworthy way and a biblically faithful way. That's one of the reasons why we as a church provide full financial uh, accountability uh, to, to anybody who asks. And even if you don't ask, 
during the annual congregational meeting, it's out there on the table for everybody uh, at, or at any other congregational meeting. We want to be straightforward in that. So just a quick, very short point for our fourth principle in stewardship of giving. Look at verse 24. Therefore, openly before the churches, show them the proof of your love and of our reason for boasting about you. So Paul was telling this Corinthian church to be open about their support, their giving of this special project, both so that it would show the proof of their love and also so that it would be an encouragement to others, to the other churches that were to be involved in it. I find it interesting how God says what we do with our money proves what's in our heart. And of course, I mean, that shouldn't come as a surprise. Jesus already explained this truth again in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That could be a whole sermon in and of itself, but the main point from that verse is very simple, right? Wherever your money goes, that's where your heart really is. No matter what you might say, no matter what you might tell other people are your priorities, that is the proof. And you see, it's always, it's always the heart that God is concerned about. So that's, if you ever wondered, that's why He tells us to give. God wants to know where your heart is. Not that he doesn't already know, right? God knows everything. He wants it to become evident to you and to others. Giving is a strong indicator of the priorities of your heart. It is, as verse 24 says, the proof of your love. So that fourth principle of stewardship, put your money where you want your heart to be. Because what you invest in is where your heart will fall. It's not because God needs the money. He obviously doesn't. But He desires your heart. And wherever your treasure is, wherever you put your investments, your spend your money, that's where your heart is. Let's pray. Father God, again, as, as I mentioned last week, it's never my desire, my uh, aim to want to have to preach about money. But as it comes up in the text, God, to be faithful, I want to cover what you say. And we're just thankful that you clearly give us guidelines and instructions concerning such a practical area, practical area in life, but a practical spiritual area because how we handle our finances truly is a barometer of our spiritual life and maturity. So God, I, I pray that as we look at these things, your spirit would again be free to work in our hearts and lives. I pray for myself, God. I want to be someone that doesn't just stop at good intentions. Help me, help all of us, God, to be faithful good stewards with your money. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.